0: Uh, Welcome. Good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Coker. I'm the lead pastor here. It's really good to have you with us for worship this morning. Today is Pentecost Sunday, which traditionally signifies the birth of the church. So we're going to read about Pentecost today from Acts chapter two. So if you have a Bible and you're uh, in the habit of opening your Bible and following along with me as I teach, feel free to do that now. Acts chapter two, verses one through four, and we read about the day of Pentecost. And here is what it says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, that's verse one. They, they, of course, refers to the disciples. The disciples have experienced this massive shift in their community. Excuse me, we read a little bit about that last week from Acts chapter one, that Jesus, after his resurrection, engaged with people, Encaged with his followers, his disciples on a regular basis, but he seemed to be fairly elusive, right? So unlike before the crucifixion and resurrection, after the resurrection, Jesus's presence with the disciples seems to be sort of intermittent, right? He's not always with them the way he was with them before. And they seem to exhibit a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. Every time he pops in to visit them, first of all, half the time, they don't recognize him. And then when they do recognize him, it comes upon them. Oh, it's, it's the Lord, or oh, it's rabbi. And then they have this shift in their perspective, at least for a moment. And then, of course, all of that culminates in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. We read that last week, where Jesus ascends into heaven. And I told you last week that I think Jesus knew he had to leave. He knew he had to depart, because if he didn't, the disciples would never grow up. They would never learn what it means for them to have the Spirit of God for themselves. They would always be relying on their rabbi. And Jesus tells them, unless I go, you won't receive what comes next, which is Acts chapter 2 brings us to this moment. So, between Acts 1 and Acts 2, the disciples are gathering together in this room that they share together, they eat together, they're doing life together. One day, while they're waiting for whatever it is that Jesus promised them, it finally happens. Again, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. See, they were hanging out together, waiting for what Christ promised. Verse 2, and suddenly, From heaven, there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse three, this is where it gets really weird, you guys, I'm not going to lie. Verse three, divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, Don't get all caught up on that last sentence, verse 4, where they're speaking in like other languages. I know that that is what we tend to talk about a lot in church when we approach Pentecost, but we're not going to talk about that this week. I will go there next week, I promise. This week, what I want you to see is that in this passage, we have a couple of things happening. First, the disciples are waiting. Just like Christina said, they are waiting together. Just like Kelly described when she talked about what she heard in her small group just now, the disciples are waiting together for something to happen. And then something does indeed happen. Fire descends on all of them. There's this powerful, dramatic experience of the Spirit of God coming to them, and as a result of that Spirit of God coming upon them, they are now empowered to act and they act in a way that allows them to communicate with people that they couldn't otherwise communicate with. So, what's going on here? Well, the first thing that's happening is we should remember that this image of fire is pretty familiar in the Bible. This is not the first time that we see this symbol of fire representing the presence of God. You might remember from Exodus chapter three Moses is minding his own business. He is a shepherd working for his father in law. He goes to find a lost sheep and he discovers a burning bush. You remember this story. There's a bush on the mountaintop. This is Mount Horeb, probably also Mount Sinai, that famous mountain in the story of, of the Jewish faith where God meets God's people in dramatic fashion. And this is the first time that happens. Moses sees a bush that is on fire, and yet, even though it's on fire, it is not being consumed. It's not being destroyed. And there, the voice of God comes to Moses, and Moses hears from God a new calling for his life. Up to this point, Moses' life was a bit of a wreck. He was raised a prince of Egypt. You probably saw that, that animated film, right? He was raised a prince of Egypt, and then he fell because he murdered somebody. And as a result of the murder, he was exiled from his family, exiled from his country. He joins with another tribe. He marries into it. He becomes a sheep herder, and then he hears the voice of God and receives a new calling to deliver his people, his kinsmen, to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Several chapters later, after all of that takes place, we see another example of fire in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 19. Moses has done his job. He's confronted the powers that be in Egypt. He's helped to liberate and deliver his people from slavery. And now they have come across the desert utterly confused totally without any kind of new identity. They knew what they were before. At least they had places to live. At least they had food to eat. And sure, they were liberated. They were no longer slaves, but now they're facing a long life of difficulty in the desert. They're beginning to grumble. Moses goes back up to the mountain, that same mountain, Mount Sinai. And this time, Exodus 19 tells us that fire and smoke descend from heaven. Again, Fire represents the power, the spirit, the presence of God. And there Moses receives a new covenant for God's people. God's people receive an entirely new identity. Now that second story is really important for Acts chapter 2 because what happens is that Moses delivers God's people out of Egypt. And 50 days later, 50 days later, He ascends to the top of the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments. Pentecost means 50. The celebration of Pentecost in ancient Judaism is a celebration of that experience where the Israelites are liberated, they lose their former identity, and 50 days later they receive a new identity and that presence of God is symbolized by fire. Here, the same thing happens. And the author of Acts, Luke, the Apostle Luke, knows perfectly well what he's doing. 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples are in the upper room and fire descends upon them. They receive an entirely new identity. Now, what's happening here in all of this, if you haven't already picked up on it, is a kind of cycle a cycle that's repeated in our lives all the time. It's a cycle whereby one part of us dies, and then we experience a period of difficulty and confusion and frustration and sometimes suffering, and then the presence of God comes in a powerful way, and we are made new. It's just the story of death and resurrection, you guys. It's the story that's at the heart of our entire faith. It's the story that symbolizes not just by Jewish people leaving a place of slavery and entering into a place of liberation and finding a new covenant. It's not just the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's your story. It's my story. It's our story here. It's a story whereby in life we become desperate and despondent and frustrated and confused because something in our life dies. Something that we hoped for, clung to. Something that we built our whole lives around or or upon And, and suddenly, sometimes by our own choice, because of survival, we let that thing go, but we mourn its death. But on the other side of that, very often we experience resurrection. We're wandering through the wilderness. We are waiting in the upper room, no longer knowing who we are, what we are, or why we are. And yet, out of the blue, in a flash, with the sound of rushing wind and fire from heaven, we experience... Inspiration. That's what we mean by the word inspiration. We use that word here a lot. We mean it in the old sense of the word, like the breath of God fills us up and makes us alive. It's a whole different metaphor. It's no longer fire, it's, it's spirit, it's pneuma, it's the breath of God that animates us, but it's the same reality we're trying to describe. And that is, I once was dead, but now I live by the gift, the grace, the goodness of God. This is something that we have all experienced. And it's what Acts chapter 2 is trying to communicate to us. it's really important, I think, for us to remember that what's happening to the disciples here is utterly a gift. They're surprised by it. They're just as surprised by it as Moses was when he was in the desert. They're just as surprised by it as you and I are when we are struggling or muddling our way through life, and then suddenly, like a lightning bolt from heaven, we realize with clarity what needs to be done. It is a surprise because it comes from outside of us. Listen, writers and poets and songwriters and painters and architects and everybody who does anything creative for a living knows exactly what I'm talking about. When you work and struggle and and are frustrated because that thing won't come to you because you can't necessarily reach inside of yourself and find whatever it is that you need to produce something good. And in that moment, just oftentimes when you think it's too late, it hits you. And it's so easy. It flows from you. And when I say that the Spirit of God is like the inspiration that an artist experiences, I am not diminishing it. I'm saying that this is a universal human experience that every one of us has known. You might not have called it the Holy Ghost. You might not have cried out to Jesus when it happened, but I promise you have been born again by the Spirit of God just when you needed it. And the problem is there weren't enough people there to tell you that that's what you experienced. Joe, Joey's over there Satan, right? Because he and I have this conversation all the time. You experience God more often than you know. You experience the spirit of God, the birth of God, the newness of God, the resurrection of God more often than you realize. And sometimes when we uh, encase it, in stained glass. We put it out of reach for people who don't see themselves in those pictures. But it's there for all of us. But here's what I really want you to hear today. What I really want you to hear is that the disciples experience this together. And one of you already made this point that they experienced this newness, this resurrection, this freshness, this, this rebirth, because they were together there for each other, accepting each other, welcoming each other, meeting each other's needs. In that place of perseverance of community, the Spirit of God comes. And I think that that's what, why it's important to remember that this is a gift because the gift of God is by grace, none of us can lay claim to it. And because none of us can lay claim to when the Spirit of God comes to any one of us, we don't get to exclude anyone from it. There is no magic trick. There is no set of like liturgical acts that we can commit in a space like this or any other that will guarantee that God shows up in a tangible way. If that were true, whatever showed up wouldn't be God because it wouldn't be free. God comes when God wants to come and God goes when God wants to go. And we are simply the lucky recipients of that presence. And because we are the lucky recipients of God's grace, I can never say, it's not for you. It's not for you. It's not for you. Because God does not belong to me. Later in the book of Acts, this becomes a real problem because God comes to people that were formerly considered an abomination. God doesn't care that they were considered an abomination. He comes anyway. And so, because we cannot exclude anybody from that presence, we must work hard to include all of those who have been previously excluded. Do you hear what I'm saying? That is our job is to make space for those who previously have been considered an abomination. I love the way Rowan Williams puts this. He's the Anglican theologian uh, from the UK. He says, I have, by God's grace, learned as a member of the Christian community what is the nature of God's mercy, which does not leave me to overcome my sin by my own effort." So I have something to say to the fellow sufferer who does not know where to look for hope. Because I have experienced the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God entirely because of the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God, that means I have something to say to those who also need grace. And that's the word we have to share. It's grace, it's mercy, It's forgiveness. It's reconciliation. It is never condemnation. It is never earning. It is never effort. It is always grace from start to finish. And he continues, what I have to say depends utterly on my willingness not to let go of that awareness of myself that reminds me where I start each day, not as a finished saint, but as a needy person still struggling to grow." We are all, I think, the disciples in the upper room. Deeply in need of the grace and the mercy of the Spirit of God. Deeply in need of the indwelling presence of the inspired Spirit of God. And Because we are deeply in need, we welcome others who are deeply in need of that same thing. In this church, I think that is where we are going. We are going to move more intentionally towards an expression of community where we know each other, where we are there for each other, where we are finding inspiration together to overcome the difficulties that we face. Are there difficulties? Yes, there are. But there's room for you here. If you want it. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to experience a sense of uh, your word in our midst. To experience a sense of how you're animating this community and calling this small church on the corner of Freeman and Topeka in downtown Oceanside to be an example, an expression uh, an embodiment of your spirit-empowered community. I ask that you would teach us how to do that, that we would become people who are eager to join with you to welcome those who have been excluded. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: A couple quick things to connect to this morning. My name is CG. I've got a few quick things. I know you love being here. I know you love watching online, but we want you to connect in other ways. Jason already uh, talked about the community group meeting that's happening today right after church, 1215 to around 1.30. That's via the Zoom too, so if you're watching online this morning, you can be part of that. So we'd love for you to be part of that right after the service today in the back room. Uh, Coming up this Saturday, June 11th from 12 to six, right here in downtown Oceanside, the Sanctuary Band is playing at 2 p.m., Pride by the Beach. 2 p.m., y'all. Come on. Y'all are going to be jamming out at 2 p.m. Where's the stage at, Joey? If you are, it, well, you won't miss it. It's right. It's the biggest stage at the end of the street. So basically, Joey's playing on the biggest stage. That's what he wanted you guys to hear right there. You'll hear me. Trust and <laughs> And then the following Sunday, Pride Sunday worship service right here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, 11 a.m. Enjoy games and free tacos yeah. and some really great worship next Sunday on the 11th. We're excited to announce the Shameless Parenting webinar, June 15th at 6.30 p.m. Um, That's going to be via Zoom. So for all you parents, for the month of June, the family ministry right here at the OSC is reading through the book, Shameless Parenting. Everything you need to do uh, and know to raise shame-free, confident kids and heal your shame too. The author, Dr. Tina Sellers, will be joining us live on Zoom for that as well. That's June 15th. Um, For all those events and for more, you can RSVP via theoceansidesanctuary.org so that always has all the events up or you can scan the QR codes that are posted around the church. Uh, My final announcement, I just want to make sure everybody knows I don't work for this church and I'm certainly not associated with with, uh, the reverend in any way. Okay? But coming up... It's your opportunity to become kind of that yearly giver here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. It's our annual membership drive. Uh, Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit and operates on gifts from us. So let me just kind of put this in my own words really quick. As we all budget, um, we budget for the year. So the end of the end of the year for the Oceanside Sanctuary is uh, June 30th of this year. The new fiscal year starts July, First, and here's what's very helpful for this staff they just kind of want to have an idea of what they're going to be working with this next year. So, we're not asking you to give today, we're just telling you if you do already give and you're thinking about giving to jump online and let them know hey, here's about how much I'm going to be able to give in the next fiscal year so they can plan on doing all the things impact this community uh, over the next year. Um, finally, one quick thing that stuck out to me this morning. I think we all have external scars and we have internal scars from trauma, right? If I took off my shirt right now, it looked like I was sent through a Pennsylvania wood chipper. That's what it looks like, right, Dan? The old Pennsylvania, I met my new friend from Corey, just came out from Pennsylvania. My mom and dad originally from Pennsylvania from like 70 years. And I'll tell you what, we've all got, External scarring and internal scarring. And at some point, I had to be okay with those outward scars because you know why? We survived that trauma. I survived that trauma. Same thing with internal scarring, right? We got to get to a point where we're okay with that. Because, like Jason talked about today, when we are inspired, We have two options. We can either hide in those feelings of that old trauma or we can just go for it. So this week, just this week, until we meet again next Sunday, when we get inspired, let's just go for it. Let's just run with it. All right? You guys have a great week. May the peace of God be with you.